It was just awe-inspiring. It was amazing. There was incredible statues, the stained glass windows. Everything about it just kind of gave you this awe and this mystery of God. And there was so many amazing things from that church. But one thing that really stuck out to me when I was little, and you know when you're young, you kind of have misconceptions very easily. You perceive certain things, and you don't quite understand what's going on. But when, with all the paintings and the stained glass windows and the amazing things of the church, right in the front, like imagine right here from this ceiling hanging down, there was this gigantic cross with this life-size statue of Jesus bleeding on the cross. And this thing was just mammoth. And I remember just as a little boy walking up to that. And when you walked in, you just couldn't miss this gigantic statue of Jesus. And it was painted. It looked very accurate. You could even see the nails and the blood coming from his hands and his feet. And, and the, the, the look on Jesus' face, I remember it clearly to this day. And seeing the somber and, and the whole aura of the church really impacted me. I remember the older ladies coming up and kissing the feet of Jesus as they were leaving the church. And as a little boy, I, maybe I just wasn't listening or I didn't get the whole story of who Jesus is. But there were two things that really stuck out to me about Jesus. One, it was very serious. Christianity was very serious. That's what I perceived as a young boy. And the second thing that I perceived at that was that something violent had happened. That's what I thought. This is really serious. This Christianity is very serious. And there's violence involved in this religion. And again, I I missed a lot of the other story. Maybe that was just me uh, daydreaming or whatever. But growing up, I pretty much had this perception. And that was all that there was to it. And it made me fear God in an unhealthy way. And, and Christianity is serious. And there was something violent that happened on the cross so that we might have forgiveness. But I didn't know the rest of the story. And I kind of had this feeling as I thought of God as a young person. <clears throat> that God was following me with this ending doom. That there was this enduring danger pursuing me. And God was a million miles away, but he could see me and he was just waiting for me to fail so that I could be punished. And it wasn't until later on in my life when I understood what Jesus was all about and, and more of the story of who he was. And I've wondered if you've ever felt that way. If you've ever thought like, Wow, there's something following me. Have you ever had that feeling like in the movies where the music starts and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that music's playing and something bad is about to happen. Sometimes we go through life and whether things are going well and we think, man, the bottom's going to drop out on this any moment. Or when things are down, we think, man, this is God punishing me. And we wonder Like, who is the real Jesus? And we have these feelings. We wonder, and and it brings this pessimism to us, that God is following me with this this ensuing danger. And I remember just a a few years ago singing to my kids. Uh, We tuck them in and we sing these songs to them. And I don't know if you've ever heard that song by Keith Green about with Psalm 23, the lyrics. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I was laying there reading to them 
and, and, and singing to them as they went to sleep. And it was one of those times where like I've sang it maybe a hundred times. And God just spoke to me and said, do you believe what you're singing to your kids right now? And this verse came to my mind as I was singing it. Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And laying there in my kid's bedroom, singing this song over and over again, tears just started coming to my eyes, thinking, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And God just spoke to me at that time. He said, yes, I have been pursuing you. I have been following you. And you can be sure of this. It says, surely you can be positive of this. That I'm following you with goodness. I am following you with love. I am following you with a kindness that you can't even comprehend. And man, it just made my heart well up with this joy. That in the highs of life, I don't have to be pessimistic that the bottom's going to drop out. Or when things are really difficult and we're going through the trials of life, which we all go through, we don't have to wonder, man, is God after me to hurt me? Is he punishing me for something that I've done wrong? And he reminded me that he is pursuing us. He is following us. But it isn't with danger. It's with love. It's with kindness. And today we're going to be talking about the kindness of Jesus. And when we start understanding how kind he is, we think, man, why would we ever run away? Why would we ever turn to anything else when we get a clear picture of how amazing and beautiful and kind he is? I love this quote, A.W. Tozer. He says that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the greatest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. As you sit there this morning, how's your perception of God? How is your perception of of how he feels about you and, and who he is and what he has in store for you? Because just like A.W. Tozer said there, what we believe about him is going to, to affect how we interact with him. How much time we spend with him. How much we come to him and confess sin. How much we come together as a community and trust that no matter what's going on in our relationships or what's going on in our personal lives, good or bad, that God has goodness for us. That He has kindness for us. That He wants to love on us. I love this passage in Romans chapter 2. He says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I love that song. I don't know if you've heard that worship song, but it's your kindness, Lord, 
that leads us to repentance. And again, for me, growing up and then eventually becoming a Christian at 18, I had to just change so much in my mind about who God was. Again, it was very serious to me. And what motivated me in most of my life was fear. I need to do right so that God doesn't punish me. I need to read the Bible. I need to go to church. I need to get there on Sunday so that God doesn't punish me. I don't want to go to hell. And maybe some of those things are true and those things are important for us to have as a, as a mindset. But man, I was just missing out on so much more. That the kindness of God is what He wants to lead us to Him. To lead us into His arms. And I would just think, man, what motivates me to do what I do. I wonder if some of you can relate to that. You know, what, what motivates you to follow Christ? Would you say this morning even that most of your life, the things you do are out of what people may think of you? Is it out of, you know, the fear of punishment? Is it out of like, man, if I, if I work really hard and I earn these things for God, He'll love on me. He'll bless me. My kids won't get sick. I won't get a flat tire. My finances will hold up. If I just walk the line and I walk with God and I do these things, I will avoid punishment. Man, I've thought that a lot in my life. And it's just taken me in the word a lot and and praying and and talking to other people to understand that, that God wants to lead you He's following you with kindness and he wants to lead you with his kindness. Just like we sang about. You know, uh, you can learn a lot about your pets. We had a, a dog named Rev, this black lab. And uh, people are just so into their pets, aren't they? And uh, it's always amazing how much, you, you know, just they become part of your family. And uh, we got this, this dog, Rev, a little while back from the pound. He was an older dog. He's about 10 years old. And uh, my kids were just really excited and, you know, going through all the things of taking care of them and learning how to feed them and taking them for walks and, you know, uh, doing all that kind of thing. And after about two weeks, I was taking Rev out with the kids and I said, you know what, let's go without the leash today. Let's see what happens. And the kids were like, no, no, dad, he's going to run away. He's going to be gone. He's not going to come back. And in some ways, I wasn't that excited about taking care of this dog. I was like, yeah, that might be kind of cool. You know, (laughs) maybe he'll find a better home. But I didn't tell my kids that. I said, you know what? I think Rev's loving it here. And what pastor shouldn't have a dog named Rev, right? He already had the name Rev. We didn't give him that name. We're like, that's the dog. His, his name's Rev. We've got to take him. And I thought, man, we're loving on Rev. And we pet him. And we feed him. And we, you know, we take care of this dog. If this dog has any brains, he's going to want to come back. And, you know, these dogs are amazing dogs. They're, they're very loyal, these, uh, these black labs. And, and so we took the chain off. And, oh, wow. He, he's like, Whoa. He's got some freedom and he starts running around and he's chasing some squirrels and and he kind of goes far away. and We're like, oh, no, is he going to come back? And every time we would whistle or we would say his name, Rev would just come running right back to us. 
And there would even be times where I'd let him outside and I wanted him to just go in the backyard and be away from us because he would follow us all over the place when we were eating, you know, and, and, and coming up to the dinner table, like, just put Rev outside. And we'd put him in the backyard and we would just hear him whining at the door, right outside the door, just whining because he wanted to be with us. And, you know, we're like dogs, aren't we? We should be like Rev. When we really understand the kindness of God, Rev understood, where else is he going to go and get this kind of treatment? We treat him better than a lot of humans get treatment. Why would he not come back? And when we realize who the real Jesus is, why would we not come back? Why would we not be always waiting at the door to be in the warm embrace of our Heavenly Father? And enjoying him. And this is why people love Jesus. This is why Jesus had the crowds. Yes they loved the miracles. And they wanted to see the miracles. And they loved his words. And his amazing truth that he poured out. That people were like wow this is amazing what he's saying. But I think as we read through the New Testament. We can be pretty confident. That the crowds were around Jesus. Because they saw this pure love. And this kindness that he poured out. You know, in Matthew 20, he talks about um, healing these blind men. And these blind men were just crying out for, for mercy. And it says Jesus had compassion on them. And he went up to them and said, what can I do for you? They said, we want to see. And it said he just welled up with, with compassion for them. And he healed them. As Ben shared last week about the woman at the well in John 4, what a beautiful story of just mercy and kindness in a, in a shocking place. That woman did not expect to, to experience kindness from a prophet. In Mark 1, it talks about Jesus touching the lepers. And how longing they, they must have been to just someone to touch them. And Jesus touched them and healed them. In John 11, we see Jesus' heart when he weeps over Lazarus and how much he loved Lazarus and the the adulterous woman that everybody else wanted to stone. They wanted to kill this woman. And Jesus said, I forgive you. They've all left you and I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And all through the Gospels, we get to see this amazing kindness of Jesus. But, you know, at times, you and I, in all of our wisdom and all of our knowledge, we can doubt the kindness of God. One of the reasons that we doubt it is because we misunderstand even what that kindness means. A lot of Christians today believe that the kindness of God means I'm going to have an easy, comfortable life. That's the kindness of God. If Jesus loves me and he wants to pour out his kindness on me, then he's going to give me an easy, comfortable life. And that's not what kindness is at all. What kindness is, is his unconditional love. Kindness in its own definition is something we don't deserve. Something that we didn't earn. You know, we we probably never go before uh, our, our boss on payday and he hands us a check and we just say, wow. You, you are just the kindest person. You know, I just want to hug you right now. Thank you for showing me this amazing kindness by giving me this paycheck. No, we don't, we don't think that because 
That's something that we worked for. And the kindness of God, the kindness of Jesus is something we don't deserve. It's just because he wants to spoil us. He wants to be good to us. He wants to give us the things that we don't deserve. And it says this very clearly in Titus chapter 3. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Titus is saying, we're all sinners. We've all lived this way. We don't deserve the kindness. We're not entitled to the kindness. We were all in big trouble. And this is just something he went out of his way to to do. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. I think it would be safe to say from, from Titus here that God's kindness toward us has very little, if nothing, to do with us. And we as Christians living in this performance world, we need to hear that over and over and over again. Your daily performance, you getting your to-do list, or you avoiding the sins, or you doing everything right, and trying to even the sins of omission, trying to, to do those things, does not earn us the kindness of God. And Titus reminds us that we were all in this really bad place. Because we didn't treat each other the way that we should, we've lied, we've been immoral, we've fallen short, we just didn't follow up to the standard of His holiness. He just wanted to be kind to us anyway. And He showed up in the form of Jesus to die for us because He wanted to be with us. He loves us and He wants to bless us. I love the uh, the Christ figure of David in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Many of you know this passage. But many times in the Old Testament, some of these people gave us this picture of Messiah. They gave us an image of what the Messiah would be like. And in 2 Samuel 9, David has become king. And he says, I want to bless somebody from Saul's family. And this is very unusual. A lot of times when a new king would come in because they were just bad people, they would kill the other king's family just so there was no threat to their power. But David, in this situation of being this this image of Christ, he said, is there anybody from Saul's family that I could bless? Because he had this amazing relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan, he said, I want to bless somebody. And one of his servants says, yeah, Saul has this this relative. His name's Mephibosheth. That's a pretty big mouthful. And Mephibosheth is this guy whose whose legs were broken. He's he's a cripple and uh, he's he's in a low place. And David says, send for him. I want to bless him. And I'm just going to read a part of this chapter. It says, David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he brings Mephibosheth to him, and Mephibosheth's worried that he's going to be killed. And David does the opposite. He says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Man, I love that passage. We are Mephibosheth. We come to God with our sin and our shame, and we realize how short we are, how, how, how much we fall short from the standard that God has set. And if we, any of us, stood before God in His holiness at this moment, we would be terrified. Truly terrified. And just like David says to Mephibosheth, God would say to us, don't be afraid. I love you. And I'm going to do something that surprises you. I'm going to bless you. You don't deserve this. You haven't earned it. But I want to give you something. And, and in this situation, he gives him all this land, which is amazing. He's, he's instantly wealthy. And because he's crippled and he can't even work the land, he said, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of servants, and they're going to work this land for you. You have to do nothing. And in a moment, Mephibosheth's life is changed. And in a moment, our life is changed. When we come and we're terrified and we realize that God is saying, I want to change your life. I want to bless you beyond what you could ever imagine. And it's not land and it's not wealth. It's me. My love. And it is more wealth to experience the love and kindness of Jesus than anything else we could ever long for in this world. And man, what I love here at the end, he says, and you will always eat at my table. Can you imagine the king inviting you to dine at his table? And you know, when God saved us, he didn't just write that check and said, there you go, you're blessed. See ya. Have a great life. And that would be cool. But he didn't do that. He said, I want to pay for your sin. And now the relationship begins. Come and eat at my table. And I, ma I imagine David and Mephibosheth sitting there talking. And David just treating him like one of his sons. And that relationship and that kindness is, is really the most important thing in our lives. That we would go regularly to pray. That we would go regularly to hang out with our king. And these are the most precious times of my life. When I'm feeling shame. When I'm feeling insecure in ministry. When I'm feeling worried and doubtful for my, my marriage and my kids. I go to Carter Park. That's, that's my spot to pray. And I go there. And it's just like dining with my heavenly father at the table. And he encourages me. And he says, doesn't matter what happens in your life. I love you. It doesn't matter what happens with your finances, your health, your family. If your ministry crumbles, I don't care what happens to you in this earthly world. I want to be with you. That's the most precious thing in my life. 
And when I was a kid and I, I used to go to church, it was just so much fear and so much worry. Man, the bottom is going to drop out. God's going to desert me. And now it's so different and it's so precious. You become untouchable in this world when you realize the kindness of Jesus. It's like, man, I'm just like that dog. I'm coming back. Why, Why would I leave? And if I'm not hearing him and I'm not feeling close to him, I'm going to wait at that door and I'm going to whine like a dog till he opens that door. And that's what he wants for us. You know, as we as we wrap it up this morning, I, I want to just talk about how Jesus's kindness has changed us. And now he wants that kindness to change other people. He's not only following us and pursuing us. He's pursuing other people. And again, I, I can't tell you what a light that this church has been to this community. And I am just so excited to see all the more of what God is going to do. Because if people in this city that felt like I did about God, they get to know you and they come to this church and they experience the kindness that you show and the kindness of God, their lives are going to be changed too. Because they don't get it. They don't understand who God is. And we have a chance to change that perception. Jesus' kindness is pursuing other people. I'm going to quickly just share three things that we can do to, to let them see that light. And one is just random acts of kindness. You know, my wife, Mary Lynn, she's just one of the most kind people I've ever met. She's amazing. It just flows out of her. And uh, just even recently, she does things like this all the time. But, but one of the kids' teachers um, at Crim was sick. And she'd missed a couple days, and she had this really bad cold. And Mary Lynn made her some soup, chicken noodle soup. And she brought it to school, and she just wrote this nice note and said, Hey, I'm thinking of you and praying for you. And man, this teacher was just floored by that. She wrote this beautiful note back, and we have some other people at H2O at this school, and she was telling these other teachers, like, you're not going to believe this. this. This mom made me this chicken soup, and she felt so loved. And other people in the church have been showing this, this teacher, this woman, the love and kindness of Christ, and she's been coming to our church. She's going to get baptized at H2O in May, and a couple weeks ago, she asked me if I would marry her and her fiancé. I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, I get to be part of something. My, my, wife, my wife's the one that did all this, but I get, to, I get to be a part of that. When we do these random acts of kindness to our neighbors and our people at work, and when we surprise them, it opens up their heart a little bit to, to who Jesus is. It's an amazing privilege that we have. And another way that I think that, that we can really show kindness to people is through transparency and just being open about who we are. Probably most of the messages that I get the most uh, feedback on are when I just get up and talk about my sin and how much I fall short. And people are like, wow, that was an awesome message. Because non-Christians think we are all perfect. They think that we're holy. 
They're afraid to come to church because they just think, man, if anybody knew how bad I was, they wouldn't accept me. And us just being honest about our sin, even with non-Christians, that we don't have it all together, that we have doubts and worries and struggles, that transparency is an act of kindness to help people not feel alone. And Jesus really uses that. And then finally, us just using our words. Aren't our words so powerful? I mean, when we're, when we're mad and we're frustrated and we're ticked off, man, our words can do some damage. I'm embarrassed of some of the things I've said to my wife, my kids, and people in my church when I'm irritated, when I'm frustrated. It mortifies me when people come back to me years later and say, man, do you remember this thing that you said? And, and sometimes I don't even remember it. I said, man, that really hurt me. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I'm a pastor, but I'm an idiot, you know? Our words can be so painful and cutting. But what a gift that it says in James that our tongue, even though it has these curses, it has amazing praises. And we can change people's lives with compliments and with encouragement and with a word of blessing. And you know, if you're a spouse and you know you're, you're, you're struggling and you're having an argument and you're, you just throw out a compliment, wow, just brings everything to a screeching halt. You know, your spouse is yelling at you or you're they're upset and you've messed up again. You oh yeah, well you're pretty. And you're beautiful. And I really appreciate you. Oh, a smile comes to their face. Wasn't expecting that. Kind words can really change people's lives. And we have the ability again to go out there and totally revolutionize people's views of God with the people around us in this community with our very words. So let's pray and let's ask God to first let us experience that kindness that he, he, he showers on us and then let that flow through us to reach the people around us. Oh God, I'm just so moved this morning and thankful for how much you love us. Your kindness to go out of your way to show us care and to bless us with your presence. And all through your scripture, your words are so beautiful toward us that you intimately know us. You intimately care about us. And in the midst of all of our sin and our shame and the, the, the shortcomings that we have that you know everything about, you still look at us and say, I want you. And no matter what you do, I'm going to keep following you with my kindness. And when we think of you even at this moment, Lord, take away the thought of an enduring or an ensuing danger that the bottom is going to drop out and let us see you who you really are. A God who pursues us with an ensuing kindness. And you're after us. And you've gone out of your way to show that. 
oh God, that the people around us would see that. That they would look at us and say, I see the kindness of God in that person. Lord, would you help us this week be that person? That people would look at us and they would see the kindness of Jesus. And Lord, I know even as I'm praying right now, God, I need you. I need more of you to fill me with your spirit and your kindness for me to even be that witness. So God, would you help us with that to experience you and be a light. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.